This episode of Shaun of the South is brought to you by Case Knives, a tradition of my family dating back to my granddaddy who once said the best cure for idle hands was to build something, so keep your hands sharp with a Case Knife. And by WNC, original music, music of the Carolinas and of the nation. Visit their podcast today, WNC, original music. You will not regret it. Also, Folklore Brewing and Meadry, quite literally the best brew in Alabama. Visit FolkloreBrewingandMeadry.com. And now let's have a song from Hot October. I got a tale of old Dixie. I loved her and she loved me. What's the sort of thing that should not be? I got a tale of old Dixie. Step, my eyes are in your heart. She said, Listen to me, son, come on here with me. I want to talk to you about the LA scene. Said, I think it's all about how you live, how you treat your life. Then suddenly it seemed as though we slipped into the night. Got me Dixie, you got me going Dixie, no, don't let me go You got me Dixie, you got me going Dixie, no, don't let me go Yeah, I got a tale of old Dixie She was close but never free She spread her eyes and could not see then she fell right into me When I feel here It makes my body quake Trouble in my thoughts Then my best mistake Another body's took Another one for me And I want to hold you close And dance till we bleed You got me Dixie You got me going And she loved me Was the sort of thing That should not be And I got a tale Of old Dixie You got me Dixie You got me going Dixie No, don't let me go You got me Dixie You got me going 
This portion of our program is brought to you by VisitNorthAlabama.org, the Mine and Lakes Tourist Association. Visit the 16 North Alabama counties and make this state what it is. Let's talk barbecue for a hot minute here. You can visit Mud Creek in Hollywood, Alabama, off County Road 213, and get the tenderest pork shoulder you ever tasted. Or New Market Barbecue in New Market, Alabama, off Winchester Road. Tell them Sean sent you and watch their eyes go blank when they answer who in the Sam Hill is Sean. If you're sick and tired of the same old thing, visit North Alabama today or northalabama.org or hashtag visit north al many and night lay awake wandering through the lonesome pine visions of you caught in my mind i'm lost in your love no direction point my compass to Past always creeping up behind Baby, I think we missed the exit sign I'm lost in your love
in your love blues. I'm down and out. Got the loss in your love blues. I'm down and out. Got the loss in your love. Well, you are listening to Sean of the South, and I'm your host today, Sean Dietrich, and I just want you to know that it is a privilege, a bona fide privilege, coming to you live each week like we do via the podcast airwaves or the radio waves all over this fine nation. When we started this podcast, we only had about three listeners. After a long time, it's been coming up on two and a half years of work, we have managed to muscle that number all the way up to eight listeners. This is no small feat. Mostly our show is a, well, it is a live show, meaning that anything could happen, good or bad, and most times anything does happen, both good and bad. I've had a few extraordinarily fun experiences where I have met people who could not go up on the stage and play the music because they were suffering from stage fright so bad that they were about to form a puddle beneath their feet. And I've had to somehow find a way to give them the confidence they need to get out on the stage. We have recorded ever since the first time we recorded in Verbena, Alabama, which was a interesting day. I'll never forget it. It was sunny the birds were chirping and we arrived in verbena alabama this tiny little church that looked like it could seat maybe 10 or 12 people there was not a church anymore but it had been used as a community playhouse showed up there and had about 52 dollars or 57 dollars worth of recording equipment that i just bought out of the classified section of the newspaper uh, upon the advice of one of my friends who suggested that we record some of these live speeches and talks and stories and whatever it is you call them that I make, which I do this a lot. Um, I speak in different places. So we did it. We recorded it. And I was thinking, this is awful. No one's going to want to hear this. And of course, except for the nine listeners that we have garnered, I was right. But I didn't think it was so bad when I heard it played back to me, all all digitally mastered and, and fixed up. And so I agreed, and it was a long two years of live shows that we did, and uh, it was an editing nightmare for our audio engineers, but it was a lot of fun, still is, and we are on a little hiatus right now from the live shows, and we are doing this one man and a microphone type show to see how it goes. My prediction is that it will go very terribly. For, for two reasons, really. The first reason is because when you are doing a live show, you have an audience around you. And this audience is always giving you feedback. They're letting you know, does this joke suck? Or is this joke mediocre? Or is this joke halfway decent? Those are your three levels of an audience, uh, of an audience response. And the second reason is because when you don't have the audience response, you're stuck here with this microphone and these jokers looking at me here behind the, gla- <laughs> behind the glass. And I'm supposed to somehow manage to work up the emotion and, and, uh, and passion and pathos for, for what? For a story about my father or, or my mother or my dog or whatever. That's, you have to be like a one-man actor. Well, I'm, I'm no actor. When I was a child... Uh, they let me be in a biblical play at our church. Our church was real big on biblical plays. And I remember I had the 
heart that was uh, Jesus. Now, a little chubby boy like me, a child with husky brand corduroy pants on that his mother bought from the Sears store across town. The Sears store had Sears and Roebuck pants for chubby boys called husky pants. I was a boy who looked a lot like Honey Boo Boo back then. A boy like that playing the role of Jesus, something just don't work right. But they painted a little fake beard on me and they made me memorize half the book of Luke. And I suspect, looking back after years and years of thinking about it, that this was just a mile-lined attempt that the church ladies were were you know uh, perpetuating on me to get me to learn the book of Luke. And it worked. I learned all sorts of things. I learned all sorts of uh, scripture. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, take a kidney for a kidney. Which is, if you believe that scripture, then I got a bridge in Brooklyn I'd like to sell you. Well, I was on stage and I was supposed to be singing all sorts of songs. One of the songs was uh, like a ragtime feel. And it just felt very bizarre to see Jesus in a tunic sing a ragtime song. And I memorized these lines for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. And I had to somehow put on a performance for these people who gathered to see our little children's pageant play. And I locked up as soon as I got onto the stage. I was on the stage in that little white tunic with the brown overcoat and the eyeliner pencil drawn beard on my face. And, And I looked at everybody and the first thing I did was crack my knuckles, pop, pop, pop. That's what I always do when I get a little bit nervous. For some reason, I cracked my knuckles, and I cracked one hand, and I cracked the other hand, and it was just crickets. And there comes a time when you can't think of anything else to say. And so it is either sink or swim, a lot like what you're hearing right now. Sink or swim, find the words or you are done. Or as my uncle, my my uncle the preacher would put it, you are screwed. (laughs) He's no preacher, I promise you that. That was a lighthearted joke. And if I were maybe with an audience of people, uh, two or three deranged people on the front row might laugh while the rest of the people stood up and walked out. Yeah, but when you're Jesus and you're standing on the, on the stage and you're supposed to to be reciting scripture as lines for the play and you forget and you've got to think of something to say to keep yourself talking and your voice moving, you can't just do what I'm doing right now, which is which is reach down into the recesses of your soul and pull out stories and anecdotes and little tales No, Jesus, his words were very, very dear to the people that I come from, the the Baptist tradition and the Pentecostal tradition. These are people who who have learned how to carry broomsticks without using their hands. These are people who are very, very stiff and very tight. And if uh, the first baptism they give you don't work, they'll give you two, three, four, five baptisms. It, it's it's all in in the red letters of the Bible that uh, that Jesus's words are found, and you can't just go ad libbing, which is what I did. I started ad libbing. I started uh, singing 
songs that were originally written by Hank Snow, uh, only without melodies, just talking them, you know, singing songs like uh, I've been everywhere, man. I've been everywhere, man. Across the desert, bear, man. I've been everywhere. Lead a hatch, you up a lack of four deposit, Talapusa, Manavala, Taladega, Silicaga, Tuscaloosa, Lochapoca, Nottasoga, Wheel, Govka, Macedonia, Georgia, Georgia, and Birmingham. Consequently, I, I used to uh, recite that same poem uh, when I once hit my head very, very hard, and the doctor said I had a concussion. He said, uh, you might experience some memory loss. And so every morning I'd wake up and I'd, I'd do that. Loach Poker, not a soccer wheel, go quit Georgia, Macedonia, Birmingham. Just make sure that I had my faculties about me. So what do I do with the microphone in front of me? What do I talk about? It's a big problem. How do I, how do I act? Do I act like, uh, do I act like a radio disc jockey and, and throw my voice up and down? Or do I, do I stay real uh, flat and emotionless, a lot like people do on NPR, where they barely whisper inside the microphone? Well, I don't know, because I ain't never done this before. So we are going to learn through this together. What I can tell you is last night, where I live, we had rain, rain like a mother. It fell down upon the world and sounded like Niagara Falls, hitting the grass and the dirt. At about 100 miles an hour, it sounded like a Russian river running through my driveway. We built our house in wetlands. Wetlands in Florida really is just typical Floridian soil. I live about a mile from the bay and three miles from the beach, sandwiched on this little uh, piece of soggy, soggy bayouish land we had to build up our lot with several truckloads of dirt we have raccoons and spiders the size of basketballs we have ditches that contain a quarter of florida population of water moccasin snakes we have squirrels that have fangs that come down to their chest and when they bite their acorn they they throw it aside because it's just not gruesome enough these are carnivorous squirrels we have mosquitoes that are the size of Shetland ponies that you throw a saddle on and you rope them and, and you ride them across the Sierra Nevada. We have wildlife upon wildlife here. Frogs. Frogs galore. We are, we are a ceremonial frogs mating ground. You can stand on my porch at night and you can listen to the wow, wow, wow of the frogs. And you will realize why. About 40 years ago, they filmed a, an eco-horror movie here in my front lawn around this area Santa Rosa Beach Florida an eco horror movie what is that you might be asking well I'm glad you asked because a lot of people want to know what an eco horror movie is when I tell them that an eco horror movie is where the killer is not some killer with a mask on or with claws coming out of his knuckles or or wearing a, a you know a striped shirt and a pair of skinny jeans and calls himself Freddy an eco-horror movie is when the killer is an eco kind of killer. An eco-horror movie is when you will die by a frog suffocating you. How does that happen? I don't know. But the name of this eco-horror movie was indeed Frogs. It, it featured deaths uh, by alligator, by, by rare fish, uh, by shark, uh, by mosquitoes. It it uh, it was a real beauty, real gem, and this was filmed right 
up the road from me and, and parts of it they say filmed here this is where i bought my little um, our little bungalow that we call home which is really not all that nice well it rained here last night and when it rains all wildlife comes out to play i mean big time they come out with a vengeance you can you can get on your porch and in between lulls of the rain you'll hear when the rain dies down you'll hear when you can look off into the woods and you can just you just know that these frogs are waiting to kill you you can just tell they've got malice in their hearts we have a pet raccoon named Ricky. Uh, Ricky comes up and steals cat food off our porch. Of course, we have these feral cats that we feed and keep around because we also have rats that are the size of circus animals that, that uh, crawl around here. Well, what do you do in the rain? I'll tell you what I like to do in the rain. I like to read. I like to read, and I like to, to, to read real slow and sit on a chair and look out at the rain. Now, rain looking is, is a disappearing art form among American men, American women. But a long time ago, it used to be the art form. And I love this. I love this. American men and women and families, they used to go sit on the front porch and just watch the rain. They would, they would gaze at the rain and let that sound hypnotize them. And this was just part of everyday, normal American life. Because back then, they used to build the porches on the front of the houses instead of on the back of the houses so they could get a good view of their hot tub and their back fence. No, back then, they used to build them on the front of the houses where they could look out at their neighbors walking by. What a concept, waving at your neighbor. And people, I believe, back then knew each other a whole lot better than they know each other now because they'd sit on their front porch. It was the second living room. If you were particularly, particularly uh, stuffed shirt, you would screen your porch in, but you would still wave at the people who walked by down your street. But today we got back porches and back decks with back fences that that shelter us from the rest of the world and people sit out there on their back porches where they don't have to see a soul so they can sit out there, I don't know, naked maybe. But we were sitting on our front porch and the rain came down and came down and it was getting darker. And after it had become so dark and the rain was still going, we went inside and we sat down in the den, which some people might call a living room. And I'd like to tell you how my life is structured. A lot of people write me letters and they ask, you know, certain questions about my dogs. And I talk a lot about my dogs. Uh, they're important to me. My dogs, uh, I don't have kids. We didn't, we weren't graced with kids. So dogs are uh, our children and if anybody out there has dogs, they know that you can spoil dogs infant, uh, uh, infinitely more than you can spoil children. You can give dogs expensive things you can never give children. And we went inside. We, we turned on the television. Uh, my wife and I tried to uh, watch things together that are like, you know, episodes uh, so that we can have a reason to uh, to 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 gripe at something on the television. If we watched good TV, uh, things that were, you know, shows that were well-written and well-directed, we wouldn't have nearly as much fun as we do if we watch bad TV. 
We we are experts at finding bad things to watch that are just so hokey cheesy that I can hardly stand it. And one of these uh, that we love to watch is Little House on the Prairie. It is as cheesy as it comes. There is there is absolutely no redeeming quality except that it is it is just saccharine sweet. Uh, every storyline is saccharine sweet. Now I'm a man. I'm a, I'm a manly man too. I mean I like to think that I'm. Uh, probably, you know, a shining example of manliness. Sometimes just to prove my manhood, uh, I stride to the refrigerator like all men do. And I open it up and that light hits me in the face and I stare right into the to the to the refrigerator full of all kinds of food and cold cuts and mustards and, and, and vegetables and pimento cheese and and. And I do what all men do. I look at all this with this flat zombie look on my face. And I say, do we have anything to eat? To which my wife threatens to leave me. Uh, I also do a lot of other manly activities, such as when I am done with my dirty laundry, I just drop it right on the floor and wait for the laundry fairy to come pick it up and put it in the hamper. This is how men have been doing laundry for centuries and centuries. But somehow... We're watching Little House on the Prairie, which is uh, which is a show that is uh, expressly designed for women. And we watch this show in our living room, and the dogs get on the sofa with my wife. Now, our sofa ain't a big sofa, but it has enough room for my wife and for my bloodhound, the Emily, and for our alleged Labrador, Otis Campbell. They will crawl up onto my wife's lap, and these are 90-pound dogs I'm talking about here, and they will go straight to sleep and start snoring to beat the band. And my wife is happy as a pig in slop. She loves these dogs just as much as I do. Uh, The problem is there ain't no room for me. There ain't no room for me at all. And so I find myself on the floor in front of a couch because that's the only other position where I could see the TV. Our other chairs are facing the other way. Someone really ought to talk to the person who designed our living room, but that's another story. And so I'm sitting on the floor in my own house while my two dogs and my wife are sitting on the sofa. Something's wrong here. Something is wrong. And the rain is coming down outside, just just pouring and falling. And Little House on the Prairie is playing on the screen. And this is a special special kind of hell for the married man and eventually the dogs fell asleep and they were snoring my wife had fallen asleep and she was gently snoring but if you repeat that i said that i would not and i was just sitting there and so i turned off the television and listened to the rain i looked at that sofa Uh, it used to be a nice sofa and i should know i'm the one who picked it out I picked it out out of the newspaper for fifty dollars. I never forget it. The ad read, "Nice sofa, fifty dollars." O B O. Anybody who's ever bought anything out of the newspaper, or Craigslist, or or in anywhere, the penny nickel ads, you know that O B O. These are three exciting letters. These are letters that ignite the horse trader within a man. You know when you see OBO that there's a chance 
that you can or better offer your seller down to the rock bottom price. Oh yes, OBO. You want to see an American male get excited and turn into a little kid. You offer him something for below, below a fair price and then put OBO beside it. I came unglued. We needed a sofa bad after we'd built our house here in the American Swamplands. And we we had this this flat living room with this cold floor and we never had anywhere to sit and so we'd sit up and we'd watch you know this little tiny black and white television set that I'd inherited from my mother uh, that had a screen that was the size of a brick. Uh, we'd sit on the floor and we'd watch it and uh, you know, that was it. So, sofa, that was my responsibility. I called this fella. And he said, yeah, I got a sofa for sale. Sure. Yeah, come on, get it. It's a nice sofa, too. He told me where he lived. We uh, found a time. At this time in my life, I'd had back surgery, lower back surgery. Uh, the surgeon had told me that I had this little spot in my back that looked like a lobster tail that had been overcooked and the meat was bulging out. I appreciated this analogy. He said another analogy would be a jelly donut that had squished out all over its container. Uh, he was real good with the uh, food-related analogies. Never before have I felt like such a piece of culinary delight as when my neurosurgeon discussed this with me. But he cut me open... He did a laminectomy on L4 and L5 and S1. And when I was all sewed up and ready to go, he put this huge patch on my back and he fed me full of illegal narcotics and said, you're going to feel really strange while you take this medication, but if you don't take it, you're going to hurt real bad. And so I laid in our living room on a air mattress without a sofa. And I watched this little black and white television while my wife fed me and I was I was on these these pain-killing medicines that I had never expected to play with my mind the way they did I was watching Julia Child on television and I was giggling and laughing and 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 pointing at the screen and, and doing big bird impersonations my wife threatened to leave me uh, yet again in my life. This is a recurrent theme. And so I was not allowed to lift anything because of this back surgery. The doctor gave me, gave me uh, specific orders and said, you are not to lift anything heavier than a ham sandwich. So to move a couch, you really have to have some muscle. Especially a nice couch, OBO, $50. So I enlisted the help of my buddy, Lyle, and I enlisted the help of my wife, Jamie. Now, I didn't exactly plan on using my wife's help, but my wife is very, very proud. She's a proud woman, and she doesn't like to think or, or have the idea communicated to her that she can't do something. She will always volunteer herself first because she is a glutton for physical punishment and so armed with my friend and my wife we drove across town to this old 
high-rise condo that was taller than taller than taller than tall. It just poked high up into the sky, way up into the clouds, and you could see these these foggy formations forming around the top, and you couldn't even see the top. And when we got there, we got out my truck and slammed the doors, and my wife said, Oh, my Lord, I hope he doesn't live all the way up top. And my buddy Lyle said, I wonder how tall that building is. And we walked into that little lobby. I looked up that guy's name on the on the directory right by the elevator buttons. And I found him. And he lived on the 22nd floor. 22nd floor. It wasn't quite the highest floor. It was like a 30-floor building. But the 22nd floor is tall enough that you can see low-flying aircraft from the balcony and wave hello to them when they fly by. So we piled into this little elevator. We weren't paying attention to the elevator size at this point. We should have. And we rode that that elevator up to the 22nd floor, moved real slow, had music going uh, on the speakers above us. My wife was was starting to get a little bit nervous. And my, my buddy Lyle, there was, there was a feeling of unsettled nerves in that elevator when you move things when you move things you have to be prepared for the unexpected that's the only thing that you know is going to happen you can only expect the unexpected when you move if you want to know what hell is like help your buddy move before i had back surgery i used to help people move all the time because i had a truck and I have, have moved all my friends up and down and sideways and back and forth across state lines, across county lines, uh, to the airport, to the, to the you know, port of, of, of no return. And they will abuse your body. You know it's coming. That's why moving is just such a nerve-wracking experience. And it was a pregnant pause there in that elevator before we got up. We knew we were going to encounter something. We got up to the 22nd floor the 22nd floor and our ears popped and we looked out the balcony breezeway and we could not see the ground there was a low-lying fog that had covered all ground and we went to the unit and pop 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 knocked on the door and the man opened up and we were no sooner ushered through that front door than we were greeted with a pile of stinky laundry about the size of Mount McKinley and in the corner of this room, it were, there were pizza boxes piled six and seven high. And there was a female walking around, traipsing around with hardly any clothes on. And there was a young man sleeping in the corner, all curled up in a ball. It looked like a frat house apartment. And it smelled like something that had been passed through the back end of a filthy billy goat. My wife and Lyle and I walked in. We were met by a young man with a ponytail named Shark. Shark shook my hand and he said, Hey, bro, come and take a look at the couch. And we walked over to this couch and he slapped the upholstery and he said, She's a good couch, bro. Had a lot of memories on this old baby. And then he reached between the cushions and he pulled out a stale slice of pizza and he remarked to himself, Oh, that grease stain, it'll buff right out. Don't worry about it. And then it was time to move the thing. Well, my wife got on one side. My buddy Lyle got on the other side. They picked it up. And they started to move it through time and space. 
through this frat house apartment across big loads of stinky laundry that that probably had never been washed because there was no laundry ferry in this apartment. I can guarantee you that. And we went through their little den and we went through their little entryway and out into the hall. And we waved goodbye to the sleeping man in the corner, the young man with the ponytail named Shark, and the woman who was walking around in the men's button-down shirt, half-clothed. And they shut the door. And we were out in the breezeway by ourselves. And this thing, my wife and my buddy have told me, was very, very, very heavy. But then again, I wouldn't know that because I wasn't lifting doctor's orders don't lift anything heavier than a ham sandwich and so i i did what all men do when they want to be useful but can't do much i directed now life needs a lot they need directors directors are a necessary part of this world doesn't matter what you've heard directors this is a role of life that is a necessary evil for the perpetuation of our species. If it weren't for directors, we would have no no glorious institutions like the church Christmas pageant or, or the PTA meeting or the Baptist floral arrangement committee or communist dictators. No, the director, he's important. I did what all directors do. I pointed and I clapped. I clapped my hands one right after the other. Pop, pop, pop. Come on, come on, come on, I said. Move it. Keep your end up. Don't slack. Don't fall behind. Pick up the pace. Come on, put your button to it, sweetie. This made me very popular with my wife. When we got to the elevator doors, we knew something was very wrong. When we got to the elevator doors and we hit the button, we realized that the elevator cubicle itself was about the size of a walk-in shower. It was tiny as tiny could be. In fact, I'm not really sure how the three of us fit in that thing and made it all the way up to the 22nd level. And there were words being uttered by my friend and my own wife, words that I cannot repeat here because this is a family podcast. This is a family podcast with a mama podcast and a daddy podcast and all sorts of little baby podcasts running around. And we ought not utter words that my wife, who is supposed to be a good, solid woman, was uttering. Yes, after they discovered that the couch would not fit in that elevator, my wife, in a moment that will forever live in my brain walked toward that balcony breezeway and glanced down 22 flights of stairs. And the inevitable had was hidden her. And she said in a voice with startling clarity, I'm going to get a divorce. But we did manage to do it. We managed to get that couch down 22 flights with pure determination. And if Lyle and Jamie are listening to this right now, I'd just like to, to pause right here and say that such a feat of incredible strength could have never been done. It could have never been achieved were it not for my directing and clapping. So, in other words, you're welcome. We loaded it into the truck. 
We drove that thing across town. We got it home, and it's right there sitting in our living room. My wife looked at it. She said, you know, it really is nice. That, that's a nice couch. I said, hey, $50. There's nothing men in my family love more than bragging about a good deal. I've been raised by men who love to talk about the good deals they've had. My father would march people in off the street, innocent pedestrians passing by. He'd pull them in and he'd show them the family, the family heap. He'd show them his Ford station wagon that he'd got a really good deal on. And he'd explain this. He needed an audience to talk about it. And you could just see these people's faces turn to wood. He'd say, I got a deal on it. I got a de good deal. This is the deal of the century. Everything to my father was the deal of the century. Even even expired cans of pork and beans on clearance at the supermarket. He was just crazy about good deals. And well, I got this this trait honestly, I guess you could say. So we loved this couch. We cleaned it up. We polished it with hair conditioner because that's what we heard would make this couch shine and look good. Leather couch with the brass studs all across the upholstery and nice thick arms that you could put your arms on and balance your coffee on, you know, just real thick, good, solid arms. And we loved this couch, but sadly, that was a long time ago. Today, that couch is somewhere between totally ratty and utterly in shambles. I mean, it looks poor. It looks real poor. And there's a reason for this. There's a reason, and I, I talked about it earlier. We have dogs, and dogs love couches. If you're a young man who is considering getting married, and you got a dog that you're going to bring into the marriage, you need to know that your couch that your wife will, will probably be sitting on is going to be destroyed. It will. Dogs will destroy a couch because they love them. You see, dogs need couches. You go back to prehistoric times when dogs were, were wandering around with the wolf packs. They, they, every single one of these wolf packs back in the cave, they had a sofa that they would crawl upon or else they couldn't dismember the carcasses of large bloody animals. They, they would have to do that on a sofa. If they didn't have a sofa, these carcasses would just remain intact and, and nobody in the pack would eat. Well, our dogs usually spend the majority of their time on this sofa Chewing on their, their chew toys. They gnaw on these things until kingdom come. They can gnaw on a good, a good chew toy for two, three hours at a time. We've got chew toys in our house that are designer chew toys. That my wife has bought from the designer pet store that, that all cost $39.99 a piece. Sometimes they cost more than human food. High-level human food like spiral-cut hams and turkeys. These chew toys, which are made of, of, of low-grade plastic, cost more than what I put in my mouth. And they only last for a week tops. We also buy a large assortment of chew toys that are really just bones. Dogs love bones. And I'm not, not exaggerating when I tell you that in my house, strewn across the floor from point A to point B, are probably 20 or 30 calf knuckle bones and shin bones and cattle bones, just, just like a graveyard all across my cold floor. And these dogs dominate that couch, laid upon it and chewing to beat the band and just gnawing on their bones. 
<sighs> they do everything on this couch. Everything. I mean, they stand on it. They 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 ride on the the arm of the couch like the captain of the USS Wisconsin. They have wrestling matches on this couch, tug of war matches on this couch. They bark at the UPS man from the back of this couch, standing on the back of this couch. They play King of the Hill on this couch and try to see who can knock the other one off the couch. And of course, they sleep on this couch. They sleep almost half the day. I don't know why. They're indoor dogs. They don't do any more physical activity than an inanimate piece of plastic, but they they sleep on this couch. And, and one final uh, activity to do on this couch, I've failed to mention. Even though our house contains more livestock bones than the North Texas cattle industry, our dogs occasionally chew on the upholstery. This, this is probably what it feels like to have children. The level of of selfish ungratefulness is astounding. They have every single chew toy known to man. We even have a chew toy that is shaped like a miniature UPS man. That means they get to know what it feels like to bite the UPS man in the butt. And this is not enough for them. So they will chew our couch until this thing looks like it belongs in the junk pile. But this is what it means to have a dog. Dogs are are only concerned with the here and the now, and they feel no remorse, and you have to envy them for that. And so that night while it was raining, I was sitting on the cold, hard floor while my wife sat on the sofa with two Clydesdales plopped in her lap. And they were sleeping, snoring loudly, and she was sleeping, snoring very softly. And remember, like I said, you, you will not repeat that. My wife, as far as she's concerned, has never snored. If she has ever even heard that I accuse her of snoring, my butt will be, uh, doesn't matter what my butt will be, grass probably. <laughs> the rain was falling down. My family was asleep, and I was typing on a laptop because uh, it didn't make no sense to watch Little House on the Prairie. I looked back at that little sofa, that little ratty-looking sofa, and I looked back out that dark window, and I saw a frog attach itself to the glass, and I saw his chest expand, his little shiny chest expand and contract, and and I realized something that was kind of important, at least to me. That little ugly sofa. That sofa that was $50 OBO. That everything that's important to me in my life is upon that sofa. It all fits right there on that little tiny leather sofa with the grease stains and the ripped upholstery. How interesting. How wonderful. Really. And so I wrote a little bit about it. I wrote a little bit about it, about the day that we picked it up. Because the little moments in your life that don't seem to matter while they're happening turn out to be some of the most important moments of your life. And you can only realize this years later. 
elevators that are the size of, of water heater closets, and men who are named Shark who keep an apartment that's fit for that's fit for something else that's disgusting, crawling with mold and pizza boxes, and friends who show up at the drop of a hat with nothing more than a few leather gloves and a back brace to help you load a couch into your truck, and dogs, good dogs. I've had a lot of good dogs in my life. I've lost more good dogs than I'd like to count. And women that make good wives, that take care of us. And no matter what, even in the middle of the night, when you stand up and you walk to the kitchen and you open the refrigerator door and you let the light from that refrigerator glow on your face and you're looking past the mustard and the cold cuts and the buttermilk and the pimento cheese and the casseroles and the old fried chicken, you still announce, do we have anything to eat? Thanks for listening to Sean of the South. I've been your host today, Sean Dietrich of Man. It's been a bona fide pleasure coming to you live each week via the podcast. Airwaves and radio waves all over this fine nation. This episode was brought to you by Case Knives, a tradition of my family dating back to my granddaddy who once said the best cure for idle hands was to build something. So keep your hands sharp with a Case Knife. The music here behind me today was Hot October bluegrass band with their debut album receiving notable acclaim this acoustic quintet is already making waves as one of the few true crossover bluegrass bands in america you ought to do yourself a favor and visit hotoctober.com download their music today you will not regret what you hear coming out your speakers to find out anything more about what i do you can visit sean of the south show.com and there you can find archived episodes dating back to our very first episode all the way to this episode which you just heard though i don't know why you must have terrible taste in podcasts and while you're there i hope you take the time to drop me a line tell me about your birthday announcements wedding invitations and potluck socials and i'll do my best to read them over the air for my friends because i love to do that sort of stuff for my friends and speaking of friends friends there ain't no such thing as too much coffee because if there was well this show wouldn't exist adios